Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Today in our study of the book of Romans, Pastor Murphy will show us God's portrait of man in chapter 3. I would like you to turn with me please to the book of Romans. Book of Romans. And I would like to go back to our text from verse number 10. Romans chapter 3, verse number 10. I've been thinking of if I want a title for this sermon this morning, what title would I give it? And um, you might call it God's portrait of man. Uh, Paul paints a picture of what man really is. And then the other option would be, uh, of course, man is him. Or simply the real truth about you. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 reads, As it is written, There is none righteous, no not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp or viper is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. The feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. And here's the cause of it all. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now this morning, I want to move beyond the general. And I want to deal with the specifics of the text. I want to probe deeper into what Paul says man's true condition actually is. I want to look specifically at the words that Paul uses. We have a tendency to read scripture and nothing stays between the two ears. It goes out one and comes out the other. We hardly spend time pondering the weight of biblical words. But if we are going to understand what Paul says in this passage about man as God sees him. We need to spend a little time thinking and meditating and reflecting and understanding what these words actually mean about man. Now I would like to say this morning that I feel especially obligated to do so. And here's the reason I feel obligated to do this. Because the reality of the situation is that the biblical concept of man... The biblical portrait of man is at variance with the so-called social sciences that we are taught in our schools and our universities. I don't know if you're aware of that. The people in the schools are not taught these things about man. We're given the idea that that man is the, the gist and the essence, the zenith of virtue. That he's a marvelous creature with all his excellencies. But when you come to scripture, sir, God doesn't elevate man, he humiliates him. 
He tells him exactly what he is because God doesn't x-ray of him. And God says, this is who you really are. All the social sciences teach four basic errors about man. One, that man is an advanced animal of some evolutionary process. <laughs> Do you know that's taught in school as a fact? There was no more fiction than that. But that is taught as fact, scientific facts. And I marvel that intelligent people sit down there and listen to this kind of garbage. Where they're even fearful of challenging it. Lest the other students in the class laugh at them and mock them. Now we have to counter that. And the only place that is being countered today is in the pulpit. The news media believe exactly that as well. Look, I've even, I'm a conservative. I'm not a liberal. I'm not a progressive. I'm a conservative. I listen to three sides of the news. I try to listen to MSNBC, listen to CNN, but I, I'm more, I'm more person who listen to Fox. But what surprises me that on Fox sometimes, they got people there that I, I can't believe it. When you, when you talk about creation or you talk about design, design, intelligent design, there are even some people on that station that, that laugh. This is like, evolution is a fact. It's not a fact. Pure, pure human fiction. But you see, it helps you in your lost condition to believe that you're not specially made. And that you are not responsible because if I'm an animal, you can't hold me responsible. I act by instinct. No wonder in our schools and our colleges, we got pot and marijuana being smoked. My son went to the University of West Indies, tell me that in the university, some of the professors smoke pot. It's a well-known fact. Well-known fact. But here we send our people to our students or schools. And they fill our heads with all kinds of garbage. All kinds of garbage. Secondly, the second era of the social sciences is that man is basically good and he has a neutral moral disposition when he's born. He's like a blank sheet when he's born. And what, what, the reason why he, where he is is because other people write things on the blank sheet. Other people do things to the blank sheet. So it is what other people are doing to him that makes him who he is. That's not true either. You weren't born with a white sheet. You were born with a blurred sheet. A black sheet. And what I mean by that, you're born in sin. As this sparks fly up, so man... Is given to sin. So the problem we need to understand, we, we have to deal with a text like this because if we don't, if we don't, they win by default. And that is why when people come into the church and come into the we don't preach politics, we don't preach uh, social socialism, we preach Christ and Christ alone. We preach the gospel, we preach the word. That's the purpose of the church. And then thirdly, the third era of the social sciences 
is that a bad environment and poor socialization is what make people the way that they are. But you want me to experiment for just a moment? Find the worst man in Antigua or the worst woman, the vilest, foulest individual. And let's do an experiment. Let's build a house for them. Let's put food on the table. Let's give them a bank account that they are made for life. Let's put them there. And then watch them. Surely they don't need anything else. Surely the bodily needs are met. Surely they have financial security. But watch them for just a while. And before you know it, the house you gave them is ransacked. They cheat, they lie, they steal, and then they go off secretly and commit sex. But I thought it was a matter of the environment. I thought it was a matter of poor socialization. That's not the case. Sir, what comes out is only what is within. So I'm saying to you, that through is a misunderstanding. So we're told today that all the crime in Antigua and all the murder in Antigua is about what? Jobs. Give people jobs, bastard. There'll be no stealing. There'll be no jobs. Well, look at big America. Look at England. Look all over. And by the way, have you ever heard of white collar crime yet? People who have millions, who, who don't need to have another cent. But yet, the more they have, is the more they want. See? Because man's desires is like hell. It's unfillable. See? And then fourthly, the fourth error of the social sciences is that through self-help, therapy, and education, we will solve the human problem. Through self-help, therapy, and education, we'll solve the human dilemma and the human problem. Do you see why it is that we need to take time to deal with a passage like this and just don't glibly run over it? To fully appreciate the weight of what Paul is saying? The real gravity of the human condition? That man is seriously flawed? And that apart from the grace of God, he's not only flawed, he's doomed. So in contrast to modern thinking, our scriptures teaches that man is a special creation of God. But he's also a fallen rebel. And here's it. He's born under sin. In other words, he's under, the, he's under the authority of sin. Just like you're under the authority of your parents, you're under the authority of your government, you, he's under the authority of sin. Sin controls him. Sin dictates to him. Sin tells him, jump, and he asks, how high? See. Now, a man would be sleeping, and suddenly sin says to him, get up, drive your car, go and pick up so-and-so and go to the beach. No, he was just sleeping. But sin injects this thing in his mind. And he goes off. And he does his own thing. I'm saying to you that 
is man. And because he's that way, the Bible said that the only adequate solution to man's dilemma is Christ and the cross. Christ and Christ alone can break the power of sin in any man's life. Any woman. If you're saying, Pastor, I wish, I, I hear what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I've experienced what you're saying. I practice what you're saying. But Pastor, I wish it could be broken. It can be today, sir. To Christ and Christ alone. Now in other words, there's no hope for man, for this planet, and for the entire universe, without an act of divine intervention. Someone who is not part of the mess, who is outside the mess, must reach down for us in the mess and pull us out of the mess. And that one, sir, is God. God. It's because he's unlike you and unlike me. He can help me and he can help you. That's the only reason he can help. For had he been flawed like us, he would be in the same boat. And there'd be no rescue plan. But thank God that there is. So I'm saying to you this morning that unless we fully understand the condition of man and we understand the problem of sin, and unless the problem of, of sin is dealt with in man's life, I am saying to you that man and his world is headed to what I call an eternal nightmare. An eternal nightmare is where man is headed. An eternal nightmare, nightmare of eternal misery and woe. And here's why. Because man has violated God's will. Man has offended God's holiness. Man has broken God's law. Man is a felon from justice. And that felon must be arrested, arraigned. And that felon must be punished. But get this. The punishment must fit man. And since the crime is against an eternal being... The punishment must be eternal punishment. That is what the Bible teaches about man. And by the way, that is real news. Everything else is fake news and deceptive propaganda. So we need to find out the real truth about man. Now this is what Paul is dealing in these verses in chapter number 3. He's about to prove exactly what I just said. And as we grapple with this passage, uh, I want to look at it under three headings. We're not going to get very far this morning. And then we'll have to come back again. But I want to look at Paul's general description of man. And you notice what Paul says in verse 10. 11 and 12. Listen to how Paul describes man. There is none righteous. Verse 11. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. And then notice he says. Okay. That is what man. Now because man. There is none righteous. There is none that understandeth. There is none. Look, look what, what, 
has happened, Paul? But look at the results of that. He said what? They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. And they all do not do any good. You see the cause and effect. Because man is this way, this is what results from man being this way. I want to look at that and then I want to look at the particular uh, manifestation of sin that we have in verse number 14 to 17. We'll come back to deal with that. And then the third thing that we look at in this section is what I call the fundamental explanation for all that man does. And that is summed up in verse 18. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now let us take this segment by segment and let's see how far we can go this morning. And let's look at Paul's general description of man in this passage. Go back to chapter 3 and uh, look at what he says in verse number 10. Romans chapter 3 and verse number 10. As it is written, there is none righteous. The first thing the apostle Paul does here is to use a broad brush to paint what man is like. And then he will go into the fine little details about what he does. But like any great artist, you always start with a sketch. Broad outlines. And this is what this masterful artist is doing in this particular passage. And by the way, you notice that in painting this portrait of man, he dips his pen into the Old Testament ink. And he uses that Old Testament to bring it a sketch. A picture of what man looks like. And in particular, and it's very, that Paul goes into the book of Psalms. And so Paul dipped his pen in the book of Psalms and he said, this is what the Psalm says. And then someone said, but you, you, there's no other proof beyond. Then Paul dips into the prophets and he says, this is what Isaiah said. So what other book you want? Paul does nothing by chance. He's a very logical person. And there's always some rhyme and scheme to what he does. There's never an accidental writing by Paul. He knows exactly what he's doing. So when you look in this passage. What you will discover is that verses 10 and 11. You can write this down if you are found in Psalm 14 verse 1 and verse 3. An, an exact quotation from Psalm 14 verse 1 and verse 3. When you look at verse 12. That is found in Psalm 53 verse 1 and verse 3. When you look at verse 13. That is found in Psalm 5 9. When you look at verse 14 now. That is found in Psalms 10 7. And when you come to verses 15, 16 and 17. It is found in Isaiah chapter 59 verse 7 and 8. I didn't want to spend the time to go and look at those verses. And mention it so that when you go home at your leisure. If for, for some reason the pastor is saying, confirm, be a Berean. Prove if those things are so. But Paul is using scripture. And by the way, the reason why the apostle Paul is using scripture is because as far as Paul is concerned, the scripture is the final authority to prove anything. When God says it is so, it is so. There's no room, no room whatsoever for anybody to litigate, 
anybody the question. It is all settled. And that's why the Apostle Paul goes to the Old Testament to settle his case. And by the way, according to the Old Testament, you need how many witnesses? Huh? Two or three. See? And that's why Paul uses David and uses Isaiah. He could have used more. But according to the laws of the land, if you want to prove something, you need two or three witnesses. And Paul said, okay, David, take the stand. You are the chosen man of God. You're a man after God's heart. You're the sweet psalmist of Israel. What is your verdict about man? David, when you are on the basis of your self-knowledge, on the basis of your experience, on the basis of your observation, on the basis that you're an inspired man of God, what is your verdict of man? By the way, you don't have to put David on the oath. For help me God. David says. I know six things about man. And that's what he did in the Psalms. He said. I know. There's none righteous. I know there's none that understand of. I know there's none that seeketh after God. I know that they're all gone out of the way. I know that they all become unprofitable. And I know one thing. I know they don't do any good. That's David's conclusion. But David, does that include you? Are you not a righteous man? Listen to David. No, not one, not even me. See? Now if David doesn't pass the test, how can you, how can me? If David confesses these things and bear witness and testimony that this is how man is for my knowledge, my self-knowledge, my observation, my experience, my inspiration. These are six things about man. But the two witnesses. And so we ask Isaiah, what's your verdict about man? And Isaiah says to us, Whose mouths are full of cursings. Whose feet are swift to shed blood. Who have destruction and misery in their ways. The way of peace have they not known. And they don't have any fear of God. These are the two witnesses that Paul calls into the docks. To bring his argument to a conclusion. And Paul wants the judge to give a guilty verdict. Guilty as charged. And that is what we have uh, in this section. Now I, I want to, this morning, to begin to look at those words, individual words. What does, what does it mean that none righteous? I mean, what does it mean when it says nobody understands? Well, we got scholars who understand a lot. We got men with PhDs as long as my hand. One degree after another. See? We got smart people. We got people who can invent the computer. Up to now, I can't figure it out. Honestly, I, look, I got a little, a little uh, flash drive that I think uh, Robert brought it back for me. Uh, for me. How many books on that, you remember? Yeah. It's maybe over, I don't want to exaggerate, but probably over four or 5,000 books on that. And I, I, I said, but how in the world you can compress that information? How will you push a button and go and go to the wrong place? I, I am baffled. I am totally baffled. 
I remember a man one day when he was giving a sermon, he had a little, uh, a little, I don't know what you call a little, what do you call it? Uh, he had a, a small piece, sliver of something on his, and he brought, he said, do you know that the entire Bible is on that? I said, what? So we have brilliant men. When, you know, there's nothing that humbles you more than to compare yourself, not with people who are your underlings, but people who are above you. Nothing humbles you more. See? You're only a proud man because you compare yourself with your peers. But when you meet your superiors, with the vast knowledge that they have, the vast experience, you almost feel like a little pusher. But what does it mean when they say that none understand it? What does it mean when they say that none seek after God? We need to, to fairly, because I know what you say. You, some of you are probably sitting there, but that can't be true. That can't be true. It can't be true because you really don't understand who man really is. What he's really like. Listen, the most pretentious creature is a man. What you see is not what you get. He's always wearing a mask. And the gospel strips the mask and says, there's a skeleton for you. You still love it? So I, I want to uh, deal with this matter this morning. And the reason why I want to deal with these words is because uh, I suspect that the biblical assessment that is given here about man, I suspect that there are people even in these pews this morning who may hold a contrary view. For example, I know that you can say this morning, Pastor, I know many good people. I know that you can say this morning, Pastor, I know people who are not even Christians, who have an understanding of the scripture. They can quote scripture, they can argue scripture with you, they can read scripture. But how can the Bible say they don't understand? Something is wrong here. You need to reconcile these differences. I know that some of you here, Pastor, I even know some people who tell me they're seeking God. That's what they tell you. But don't believe them. Okay, Don't believe them. And pastor, I know many people who are philanthropists. They're always doing nice people things. But you notice they always want to name any papers. They give a man a little hamper, a little bag, with a little bit of food, and he must take a snapshot. I'm serious. It offends me. You give somebody something, you don't need to, to, to parade it. But that's his man for you. He wants credit for the good that he should do. He still wants credit for it. So I am aware that when I deal with this particular passage, there may be some people sitting in the pew saying, Pastor, I, I must tell you, I, I believe a lot of what you said, but you're, you're, you're pretty much, you're, you're skewed this morning. You've gone off your point. So I ask you this morning, is Paul using hyperbole here? Is Paul exaggerating? As Paul allowing his emotions to flaw his logic? Is Paul painting in too broad a brush? He needs a, a fine, he's too broad, Paul, to say, none, all? Come on, Paul, come on! Surely, 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 there are exceptions to the rule. And Paul, you do so much discredit to the gospel 
when you make everybody feel bad. You beat them head of scripture. You use scripture, old book. You beat them on the head and you tell them they're not good. They're, they're not righteous. You tell them that they don't seek God. You tell them they're all going to the way. You tell them, Paul, if you approach them that way, they turn away from the gospel. See, the problem with you is that you believe that. And that's why you're so soft and presented the gospel. Can I tell you something? Every man that you beat over his head with the scripture knows exactly what the Bible says is true. He might put on a facade. He may get, and the reason why he gets angry at you and tell you because he don't want you to say them. He don't want to hear them. But he's very much aware that what the Bible says is true, not about me, not about you, but about himself. So does Paul, is he exaggerating? I suppose if you had to advise the Apostle Paul this morning, you know you tell him, Paul, you're out of the times. You're too old, man. You need to come down to reality, Paul. I mean, you really don't understand the modern man. What we need is positivity. Paul, what we need is encouragement, Paul. You need to empower people. People need affirmation, Paul. (laughs) It's amazing how brainwashed we have become. We are like parrots reciting everything the psychologist said, everything the politician said, everything the teacher said. We just parrot it off, parrot it off. You know, we we don't think, we don't say, but wait a minute, wait a minute. That can't be true. But here's the danger. Because if that is true, this is false. If we think in terms of antithesis, that two things, A cannot be B. B cannot be A. A can only be A. So when B is claimed to be A, we have a flawed logic that must be rejected. You know what I would say about all of that? I would say to you that whether you know it or not, What we are faced with today in our pulpits, in our ministries, on the radio, on the television, is something called Christian apostasy. Christian apostasy. What I mean by that is this. Men in clerical garbs have abandoned the truth and is now teaching human ideology. How many people here have heard a guy called Robert Shuler of Crystal Cathedral? I forgot how many thousands sit in his cathedral. And how many radio stations carry his message. Robert Shuler is a fake. You know what he teaches? Something called the power of positive thinking. Don't tell people they're sinners, he says. You will offend them. Make them feel good about themselves. Beef them up. Butter them up. And that's why his church is so full. They will have itching ears. The Bible says. Itching ears. Who choose men. 
who teach what they want to hear to tickle their fantasies. That's where we are. Believe it or not. TBN. TBN, that's your station, right? But you see this prosperity gospel? It's a false gospel. It's not a true gospel. We call that apostasy. They've gone away from the truth. Teaching men that gain is the means, godliness is the means to gain. So I want Robert, I want more. I want my bank account fat. So I got to get religion. And I will sow seed. I am amazed and amused at how many people fall for that. You want this prayer rag? I have prayed over it. It doesn't look like mine. It's not better than mine. I've prayed over it. And I guarantee you that if you send me, send me five or ten dollars, I guarantee you if you carry this thing on you, I guarantee you health and prosperity. I guarantee you success. And this oil, this is sacred oil. It came from Israel. And we prayed over it. And you can send for this oil. And I promise you, if you put this oil in your head, you'll think better. If you put this oil in your ears, you'll hear better. If you put this oil in your mouth, you'll speak better. If you put this oil in your feet, you'll walk better. Yes, sir. I can be Pentecostal, can I? Now, you see how I just did that? Deliberately did that? That's why you have any pulpits today, believe it or not. Fake. Fake. I'm not saying that everybody caught up in it. It's fake. There are a lot of sincere people caught up in it. But inadvertently caught up with it. It's a real terrible situation we have found ourselves in. But I am convinced that when we come to a passage like this. And we fully grasp the meaning of what Paul is saying. That we will all concur with Paul. That there is none righteous. There is none that seeketh after God. And there's none that doeth good. See? And by the way, if you hesitate, if that offends you, I want to say to you, you really don't understand. Man. I wanted to deal with two of these things this morning. I want to deal that there's none righteous, and then there's none that understandeth. Okay, that one I want to deal with. But we, 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 at least I whet your appetite. I know you're going to come back because I know you're going to want to hear what I'm going to say, right? And uh, I set you up this morning. No, I didn't set you up. I really don't come into the pulpit saying I can preach 30 minutes or 40 minutes or an hour or 15 minutes. Really, I just prepare and I, I kind of give you what I prepared. And sometimes it is good, sometimes it's sumptuous, sometimes a little bit raspy, but hopefully it's always good food. Yeah, and that is my concern. Let me just say this. This morning. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? 
If you're not, let me tell you something. I, 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 look, heart, hands over my heart like a scout and tell you the truth. You're in trouble. You are in such desperate trouble that if you only had your eyes open for one moment and you understood the truth of what the Bible says, listen to me, you would rush into the kingdom of God. So the reason why you haven't rushed is because this. You're blind. You're blind. And, and can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? Pastor Murphy, man, you just said I'm blind. I could see you. I could see people in the... Pastor, there's not only physical blindness. There's something called spiritual blindness. Where you, you, you hear truth, you read truth, you memorize truth, you talk truth, but... You don't understand it. You don't appropriate the truth. And I'll tell you why that happens. Let me show you. Turn to Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verses 1. To verses 4. Listen to these verses. Therefore. Seeing we have this ministry. As we have received mercy, we faint not. Paul said, look, I don't get tired. I, I realize that God has given me the ministry of the gospel. And I, I ain't going to wear myself out. But notice what Paul says. But having renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in, not, not, walk, not peddling the gospel, not being a spiritual mercenary. Notice what he said. Not having... Handling the word of God deceitfully. Not telling people lies. Not misrepresenting the truth. Not tailoring the truth to fit the congregation. To become ingratiated into the favor. Notice. But by manifestation of the truth. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. I live a transparent life. Paul said. Look that's how I live. Now, verse 3. But Paul, why are you not successful? Why are not thousands rushing to the kingdom when you preach? Why do they persecute you? Why do they reject your message, Paul? Why do they put their fingers in the ears? Why do they go away in anger when you preach? Listen to what he says. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are what? Lost. Now notice the next verse. In whom the God of this world have blinded their minds so that they do not believe. When the Lord called the Apostle Paul and he's reciting his witness and his testimony as to that effect before Agrippa. He said, the Lord told me, I've chosen you as a vessel to set at liberty the captive and then get this to open the eyes of the blind and I'm just saying to you this morning that if you're not a Christian and you know what I'm saying about you is absolutely true you have a blind spot because in spite of saying, you're saying, and I agree with you, Pastor, I know what you're saying. Is, uh, the, the reason why you don't make that next move is because 
Whether you know it or not, you're blind. You really don't see your situation as it really is. You know how you see yourself? You see yourself, well, I'm here this morning. I don't have to become a Christian, but I'll be here next week. Who told you that? Who told you that? Sir, madam, I might turn on the radio this week and hear your obituary. We regret to announce. And then I said, but wait a minute. That person was in church. Listen, what you need, and you need above everything else, is this. You need Christ and Christ alone. That's what you need. Do you have the faith to believe that? And to embrace that? Father, take your word and the thoughts that we've shared this morning and help us to think on these things. Weigh these matters seriously and soberly. Oh Lord, Take the clutter from our minds, the distractions from our thinking, and help us in your presence to grapple with these matters. And especially that one here this morning who may not be saved, who may not be a believer, who would endorse everything we have said this morning, but yet who has no intention of doing anything about their condition. Lord, could there be a blinded person here this morning? Open blind eyes, touch stubborn hearts, subdue wills that are ending against you. And Lord, stir our emotions as you stir us by your truth. Bring about some response for yourself, for your glory, for your purpose, and for that person's good and benefit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy explains more about the first statement, There is none righteous, no, not one. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street, in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.